the indwelling of deity in the believer. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. How is the Father in the Son? How is the Son in the Father? How is Jesus one with the Father? The answers to these questions are bold and confident revelations which were made by Jesus. The answers to these questions reveal for the understanding of the saints in Christ how and when deity, that is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, come to dwell in the believer. This is the boldness, confidence, and joy of the children of God. Hi, my name is Gilbert Torres, or in Spanish, Gilberto Torres. My wife and I live in Round Rock, Texas. I want to thank you in advance for taking the time to listen to this message. My hope and prayer is that you will receive understanding and edification in your growing faith in Jesus. There are three questions and three answers in this message, which will be followed by a conclusion on the indwelling of deity in the believer. Number one, how does deity dwell in Jesus? Number two, how does deity dwell in the believer? Number three, what is the evidence that deity dwells in the believer? And number four, conclusion. There is a very deliberate reason for the use of the term deity in the title of this message. The core of this message is formed, shaped, and founded on the words which Jesus spoke in John chapter 14. There will be references and allusions throughout this message to that account written by the Apostle John. Specifically, the message focuses on the appeal from Philip, one of the twelve disciples. It was Philip who asked for Jesus to show them the Father. The response from Jesus to that appeal is the focus of this message. Philip adds to this appeal that if Jesus shows them the Father, that this would be enough. I encourage the listener to read, examine, and ponder the words in that chapter in the Gospel according to John. There is a second passage of equally weighty importance. I encourage the listener to read, examine, and ponder the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. The significance and importance of this passage is that it serves to inform the believer concerning the Lord God who is one and how and what deity has accomplished as concerns his will for and in the believer. Number one, how does deity dwell in Jesus? There may be no more awkward or difficult claim made by Christians than to say that the Holy Spirit dwells in them. The irony is that this claim is true. The Holy Spirit does dwell in the believer. Exactly how the Holy Spirit dwells in them, or how He came to dwell in them, is mostly not something which they are prepared to engage, or which they wish to engage with others. The realization and understanding of deity that, not just the Holy Spirit, but the Father and the Son dwell in them, is not part of their lives or their message. I believe the saints are keenly aware that a mere ranking of deity in the familiar order of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as first, second, and third person of the Godhead does little or nothing for their understanding, confidence, or conviction. As I am often given to saying, 
this is not a crime. It is not a sin. However, it may be a travesty of the testimony of the Spirit in the hearts of the children of God. This lack of acknowledgement of that indwelling and understanding does not change the reality that the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son dwell in him or her. The saints in Christ, or Christians, blurt out assertions which they hear from some of those of us who lead, teach, and preach. It is we who are to bear the burden for this travesty. The believer hears things like, you just know you got the Holy Spirit because you're happy all the time. They hear academic expositions on the Greek language word for in, as the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? The answer to the question about how the Holy Spirit or more precisely how deity dwells in the believer, is not a vague obscurity. If we put the same question to Jesus and ask, How did the Father dwell in the Son? It is a question which the Lord answers for us in his dialogue with Philip. Listen to the word of the Lord from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him, and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Let me say what is apparent in which you have probably noticed already. Philip did not ask Jesus to explain or describe for the disciples how the Father dwells in Jesus. The disciples wanted a visual display of the Father. Philip's request was not unlike that of believers today. Some may think of the piously clasped hands of Jesus, a golden halo above his head, or his radiant garments as the evidence that the Father was in the Son. The response from Jesus to Philip is not one of reproof or castigation. 
The response is one of reassurance and encouragement. The response from Jesus is about something which was known and with which the disciples were familiar. The response was twofold. It was concise. It was terse. Jesus cited for the evidence for Philip. It was the work, words and the works. The words of Jesus are as beautiful as they are enlightening and powerful. We live in a time in which words are a commodity, worn, tattered, abbreviated, and cropped packet hashtags. The usefulness of words is relegated to a signpost pointing us to the works, the good stuff, the real stuff, the important stuff, or so we think. The precedence which Jesus gave to the words over the works escapes many believers. Speaking in human terms, the works, for example, restoring a withered hand, are so much more spectacular than the cerebral nature of words and the need to understand words for many believers. I take heart when I read how Jesus boldly and confidently asserted that it is the words which he spoke and the works which that he performed which show that the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father. The words and the works reveal for us not only that the Father was in the Son and the Son was in the Father, but how this mutual indwelling of deity was, to put it in human terms, possible. But what is the significance for the believer to understand and accept that the Father dwelt in the Son and how deity dwells in the believer. Number two. How does deity dwell in the believer? The significance of those words which Jesus spoke concerning the indwelling of deity in the Son through the words and the works is that they bear directly and similarly on the believer. Immediately after Jesus spoke concerning the mutual indwelling between Father and Son, he turned his attention to a very special request. It was a request which he said he would make to the Father. It was a request for the Father to send another helper in verse 16. Jesus leaves no doubt in the minds of the disciples that the helper is the same as the Spirit of truth. Listen to the word of the Lord from John chapter 14 verses 16 and 17. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever, that is, the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. Once again, there is a twofold message in the words of Jesus concerning the disciples and the Spirit. Jesus declares to the disciples that the same Spirit of Truth is with you and will be in you. The promise is both present and future simultaneously. The disciples may have been no more aware that the Spirit was with them already any more than they were aware that they had been seeing the Father all along. But this does not change the reality which Jesus 
had just made clear for them. This is not a difficult reality to remember or to understand from our own personal life. Do you remember the days and weeks or months before you acted on your faith and committed your life to Jesus as Lord? It was during that period of time when you had actually come to prefer being in the company of Christians rather than those who were of the world. You may not have known it, but the Spirit was with you. Why would anyone suppose that the Spirit was with them was any different than when the Spirit was with the disciples? Why would anyone suppose that it is any different and that it is the same as how the Father dwells in the Son? Why would anyone suppose that the Son dwells in the Father other than through the words which the disciples had been hearing from Jesus, who was with them. Yet, the words which they had been hearing had not produced the conviction and commitment which every one of them, except Judas, who had already acted on his convictions with commitment and had left the fellowship of Jesus and the disciples, would soon experience in themselves on Pentecost. Listen to the word of the Lord from John 14, verses 20 through 23. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the Son, is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to live and make our abode with him. I do not know, and I will not say, that what Jesus had in mind when he said, In that day, was the day of Pentecost. I will say that it seems to be a plausible and reasonable application in that respect. It was on that day that the disciples came, or perhaps more precisely, they were led by the Spirit to the fuller realization concerning Jesus and the message of the Gospel. The Word was now in them. They proclaimed with conviction, boldness, and confidence the Gospel of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Once again, the disciples may not have understood how it was that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwelt in them, but this did not change the reality of the message which they had heard from Jesus concerning the indwelling of deity in the believer. Most definitely, the apostles did not rely or resort to the fickleness of cheery and warm fuzzy feelings to supplant their teaching concerning the indwelling of the Spirit in them, as in all believers. There was nothing deep, dark, obscure, or mystical in the teaching message of the disciples and the apostles as to how the Spirit dwells in the believer. The Holy Spirit dwelt in the believers then, as well as today, in the same manner as in the Apostles. The Father and the Son, too, dwell in the believer in the same manner as they did in the believers and the Apostles in the first century. Listen to the word of the Lord 
from John 14:23 again. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. However, the same indwelling in the apostles as with the disciples today is not to be mistakenly equated with the miraculous gift which they received to enable them to perform various miracles. The miracles which the apostles performed was not because of great faith on their part. It was because of the gift imparted on them without human intervention, but by the Holy Spirit. I will add this as a parenthetical statement. I am not troubled, and there is no reason for you to be troubled. If a believer is able to heal or raise the dead by the same spirit in the same manner as the apostles, and like them, without the human intervention of the laying on of hands, but they do so through a faith for which the Lord would command them, there is no reason for me to be troubled. Such a believer is doing no less and no different than that individual in Luke chapter 9 verse 49 who was casting out demons in the name of Jesus. The disciples of Jesus did their best to prevent him from continuing his work. They thought Jesus would be pleased to hear of their efforts against that individual, but they were mistaken. This is nothing about which your faith should be troubled. I believe you will observe that those who are troubled by such things are themselves neither comfortable nor are they aware of the indwelling of deity in them. Hence, they have no confidence and they are troubled when they hear of someone doing by faith what they can neither understand nor do themselves. Still, the question remains, and rightly so, what is the evidence the deity dwells in the believer. The manner by which the Spirit had moved from being with the disciples to being in the disciples was through their belief and acceptance of the words which they had heard and learned from Jesus. They responded with faith, conviction, and commitment to those words. This, the words and the works, is how the deity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwell in the believer in the same manner as the mutual indwelling between the Father and the Son. Perhaps you are thinking, no, there's got to be more to it than that. Perhaps this is not, in Philip's words, enough for you? Where then is your confidence in the words spoken by the Lord Jesus? Where is your confidence in the written testimony of the Spirit? How strong is your confidence and conviction that God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit dwells in you? Number three. What is the evidence that deity dwells in the believer? Jesus made a strong, bold, confident assertion concerning the indwelling of deity in himself as well as in the believer. The Apostle Paul, the servant of the Lord, also made a strong, bold, and confident assertion concerning the deity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in chapter 1 of his letter to the Ephesians. The revelation echoes a similar pronouncement by Moses to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. 
Specifically, Paul mentions not only the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but he informs the believer as to what Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have done concerning the will of God towards us. Paul declares that it was according to the Father's purpose to choose us for redemption. Then Paul continues that it was the Son whom the Father sent to fulfill the purpose of the Father and to redeem us through his own blood. Furthermore, Paul informs the believer that it was the Spirit who sealed or affirmed those who believe in the Son and fulfill the Father's purpose towards us. This is not a deep, conjured-up, dark obscurity. Do you remember the days leading up to your conversion, your purpose that day in your mind, that you were going to commit your life to the Lord. Then you went and you fulfilled it, perhaps in the presence of some witnesses. And the next day, when somebody asks you, where were you yesterday? You tell the story about how you purposed the day before to commit your life to Jesus and you fulfilled what you had purposed and now here you are affirming it to this individual. It's the same as when you meet a friend for coffee. You enjoy your fellowship together. And afterwards, someone asks you, where were you yesterday? And you said, oh, well, I had coffee with a friend. What you did was you purposed to meet that individual for coffee, your friend. You fulfilled what you purposed. You had coffee with your friend. And then you affirmed that you had coffee with your friend. It is what we do every moment of our lives. This is not to say that we sit down at the start of the day and write out everything that we're going to do that day. This is as innate to the Lord God as DNA is to human beings. It is reflected in the grand introduction of God in the creation narrative in the book of Genesis. See for yourself. God one purpose let there be light two God fulfilled what he purposed and there was light and three God affirmed it is good this is repeated throughout the creation account purpose fulfillment and affirmation is what characterizes every moment of our lives and it is as innate to us as it is to the Lord our God whether or not we are deliberate in the good or the evil which we do. Jesus asserted the words and the works as the evidence for the mutual indwelling of deity between Father and Son. This same bold, confident assertion is equally true for the believer to assert about himself and herself concerning the indwelling of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in them. I have previously noted in response to the question, how does deity dwell in the believer, that deity dwells in the believer in the same manner as in the Son, through the words and the works. This is in accordance with a bold, confident claim made by Jesus about himself and the Father. The assertion by Jesus was twofold. One, 
that the Father is in the Son just as the Son is in the Father. And two, that any so-called visible evidence to display for all to see this reality for themselves is to be found in the words which they either hear, learn, or see Jesus speak and perform. The unity and harmony of those words and of those works in the believer is quite evident. It is evident in everything which the believer purposes to do, everything which the believer fulfills, and everything which the believer affirms as being by the will of God, in the name of God, and for the glory of God. This is the evident testimony of the Lord God who is one in the heart of the believer through the indwelling of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in him or her. So is there any reason to wonder or to doubt that the evidence of the indwelling of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the believer is to be displayed by the believer? Is there any reason or doubt that the world sees the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit through the words which the believer speaks and the works which the believer performs? No, there is no reason to wonder or to doubt. Again, does this not seem, to continue with Philip's word choice, enough for you? Do you think, surely there must be more, something else? Will you resort to and continue to trust in the fickle emotions of the heart, or will you lean with the understanding from which comes confidence and conviction on the written testimony of the Spirit concerning how the Spirit, Son, and Father dwell in you? Number four, conclusion. The Holy Spirit dwells in the believer as the apostles taught the saints in Christ. It is just as true as Jesus taught that the Father and the Son will come to dwell in the one who loves Jesus and keeps his word. The Father will love him too, and both Son and Father will come to dwell in the believer. What dwells in the heart of the believer is the deity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus declared to the disciples that it is the words and the works which both reveal the Father and the Son, but that the same words and works also attest to the mutual indwelling between Father and Son. Furthermore, the same words and works of the believer are evident to the world. It is evident in everything which the believer purposes to do, when the believer fulfills what he or she purposes to do, and when the believer affirms that he or she has fulfilled what he or she purposed to do by the will of God. If Jesus could confidently and boldly claim the reality of this mutual indwelling through the words and the works, then you and I, believers in Jesus, can similarly make the bold and confident claim about the indwelling of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in us. This confidence is not a mere chant or dogged, uninformed claim. We need not rely or be swayed by the fickleness of the emotions of the heart. Instead, we can rejoice and rest in the written testimony of the Spirit concerning these things.
when we do, then it will be enough for us. Then we can rejoice in all confidence before the Lord our God, with the saints in Christ, and among all men. God bless you.